0: You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. We are in Genesis 23. I invite you to grab your Bibles or turn on your phones or whatever you do because this is a, it's just an amazing chapter. It's one of those that, you know, in my Bible read-throughs, I just kind of read through it. It's it's kind of a weird chapter, and, eh, you know, there's some stuff in there, like, why did I put this in there? I don't know. But when I started digging into it to preach it this week, I thought, oh, my gosh. God's Word is rich and powerful. So Genesis chapter 23, we read together here. Sarah lived to be a hundred and twenty-seven years old. She died at Kirath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went to mourn Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am a foreigner and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site where I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, "'Sir, listen to us. "'You are a mighty prince among us. "'Bury your dead in the choice of our tombs. "'None of us will refuse you his tomb "'for burying your dead.' And Abram rose and bowed down "'before the people of the land of the Hittites. "'He said to them, "'If you are willing to let me bury my dead, "'then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, "'the son of Zohar, on my behalf, "'so that he will sell me the cave of Machpelah, "'which belongs to him at the end of his field. "'Ask him to sell it to me for the full price.' As a burial site among you, Ephron the Hittite was sitting among his people and replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of his city, No, my lord, he said, listen to me, I give you this field. I give you the cave that is in it. I give you in the presence of my people, bury your dead. Again, Abraham bowed down before the people and He said to Ephron in their hearing, listen to me, if you will. I will pay the price of this field. Accept it from me so I can bury my dead here. Ephron answered Abraham, Listen to me, my lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver, but what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver according to the weight current among the merchants. So Ephron's field and Mechpelah near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it, and all the trees with the borders of the field, was deeded to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who had come in the gate of the city. Afterward, Abraham buried his wife, Sarah, in the cave in the field at Mechpelah near Mamre, which is at Hebron in the land of the Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites, as a burial site. This is God's word for us this morning. It's a hundred and twenty-seven years old. How long had they been married? Sherry and I celebrated our fifty-first anniversary last weekend and I thought we've been married a long time. <laughs> And we had a great time. I mean, it's, it's amazing being married to this woman. I love it. But they've been married maybe twice as long as we have. Probably cut and gotten used to each other. But she's dead. He walks through the valley for death has cast its shadow. And if I'm reading this right, it said he came to mourn her. Perhaps he was in Beersheba, which is their home. And now he travels up to Hebron, which is where they'd lived before. It's been a very powerful place in their relationship. It's where God had appeared to them. It's where they got appeared in Genesis 22 to ask Abraham to sacrifice Isaac but they live on to Hebron. It's a beautiful place where his beautiful wife dies. And he comes there to weep for her and to mourn her. I don't know if you can read the sign here. Those of you on the internet can't. <laughs> but you can download the PowerPoint. And see the picture of Lizzie, my beautiful granddaughter, in front of a sign about Brashear's Valley. Sixty miles north of Springfield, near what used to be Avery, Missouri, is Breshears Valley and Avery is a part of that valley. And just down the way from that sign is a Spring Branch Church of the Brethren. That's my church. Spring Branch, Church of the Brethren. Some dingling put a steeple on top of it. It should not be there. Because <laughs> I grew up in that church from two and a half until ten. That's where I went to church. That's a church where my grandfather was a stated elder. That's been the church of my family forever. And you see back in the back on the picture there, you see a graveyard, and this is me standing where I will be gathered to my fathers. Sherry and I and Lizzie went back there and talked to the woman who's in charge of this, whose house is in the barn, near the barn, you can see on the other side of the road there. And in front of me there is the gravestones of my uncle and aunt, Truman and Bernice, and just beside that, the gravestone of my parents. This is Nicole, a few years ago, looking at the gravestone of Galen and Ruth Brashears, my parents, and if you could see the sign down at the bottom of that gravestone, it said, names me, Gary, and my sister, Anne. This is our place. This is Lizzie in front of John, Sarah M. and John F. Brashears, my great-great-grandfather. And all the line in between, and many aunts and uncles, and I think there's one family older than that that's my great-great-great-grandfather there. It's the Spring Branch Church of Brethren, this is our place. And when I'm gathered to my father's, Sherry gathered beside me, there are places there for my two sons and our adopted daughter, Cindy, and it's, uh, it's one of those things when I thought, hmm. Now, Cindy spent the first 25 years of her life in hell. I've talked to her story before sometimes, and death haunts her because of her life. And I thought, what am I going to do when I tell her that I'm arranging for a place for you to be buried? Mm, 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 Mm-mm-mm-mm, this is kind of a, how are we going to do this, approach it very, you know, soft start when you're in difficult times. Well, this is a very soft start with Cindy. And I showed her the picture and the layout of the, the graves there on the thing we put together with the woman who negotiates that and showed her where her grave site will be right next to my grave site and Sherry on the other side, and I had no idea what her response would be. Cindy hates to cry, and she could not hold back the tears. She had a place. It's hers, and not hers alone, but in family. Abraham bought the cave at Machpelah. And this is what it looks like today. This is Hebron. This is the cave of Abraham at Machpelah. It's a big building, and I've never been in that building. I've been in Hebron. Dan Sered, who's going to be leading our setter, is Israeli, lives in Tel Aviv or near Tel Aviv, and I'm sure he's been there many times. That is the cave of Abraham. It's a cave that's recognized by the three major Abrahamic religions, it's a holy place for all of them. And that's where... Sarah was buried at a cave in Machpelah. This is Gustav Dore and his woodcut. He does some amazing biblical art and this is one of them. The preacher in Hebrews reflecting back on the saints reflects back in one verse on Sarah. By faith, even Sarah who was Past childbearing age was enabled to bear children because she considered him, God, faithful, who had made the promise. It describes Sarah as a "woman of faith. Not perfect, but a woman of faith, married over a century to her husband, and the scripture says she's one of those of whom the world was not worthy. A woman of faith who was a faithful wife a hundred years, more than, probably, in this marriage, faithful to go with her husband, and she's a woman who had known great sorrow when she was 65 years old, her husband got a vision from God and said, we need to leave our place and go to another place a long ways away and live there. And she had to go through the sorrow of leaving all of her family behind, all of her familiar places, all of her relationships, to abandon them and and leave. And when she got there, her husband took her down to Egypt to escape a famine And there, a man of God gave her away to a powerful bad guy out of self-protection. Can you imagine how she felt as that bad guy took her into his house as a wife? And her husband did not protect her, but in fact was protecting himself. went back into the land and in desperation to fill the promise offered her Egyptian slave girl, which probably was gotten in that deal down in Egypt, so that Abraham could have a a child because she was childless. The agony, the agony of no children in that society. So in desperation, she gave Hagar to Abraham and Ishmael resulted. And then Hagar heaped contempt tempt on her because of her childlessness mocking her oh there were great joys too god showed up in chapter 18 and said you will have a baby and when she laughed and i used to believe that god said no there will be a baby and there was 90 years of childness, and she holds her own baby laughter. The whole world will laugh with me. But Hagar again despises her. And Abraham seems to choose Ishmael over Isaac and her. Incredible sadness and betrayal. And a few years later, God shows up there at Hebron. And tells Abraham to take her son. And without consulting her in any way, he takes their son, her son, to kill him. Now she's dead. Joy, sorrow, We do see that Abraham loved her deeply, despite all of his stuff, despite all of her stuff. His love showed in the way the text is developed. Abraham, I am a foreigner and a stranger among you, he says. He goes to mourn and weep over his wife. Sell me some property. The Hittites referred, you're a mighty prince. What is he? What is he? A resident alien, an immigrant with no home, or a mighty prince? What is his identity? How does he see himself, this incredible contradiction between these two playing in his mind? Of course, child of God, called of God, blessed by God, that's his fundamental identity. But he's wrestling between the two. I have no home. I'm a stranger here. Abraham purchases the land which God had already given him by promise. God has said, that is your land. I will give it to you. And he purchases it. And he's also won it by conquest because he's the one in chapter 14 who went and defeated the kings. He has that by right of conquest. But you see, Owning by divine promise and owning by conquest is not the same as having a title deed that you have purchased yourself, and he understands that. If this is to be my home, I have to own it, not just get it. So he negotiates and buys the land so he can have a home. It's an incredible act of faith. In the promise of God because this is not his place his place is Ur and when he wants a wife for his son he will go back to Ur to get a wife for his son and when his son Isaac wants a wife for his sons Jacob special son he will go back in to Ur it's an act of faith that this is where it comes and you see other promises of God will make you a great nation is he a great nation not at all. I'll make your name great. Well, the Hittites recognize he's a mighty prince, but a lot of people have no idea who he is. You'll be a blessing. Well, kind of, sort of. He's actually a problem for Pharaoh. Bless those who curse you and curse those who curse. Oh, nobody had cursed him. I mean, there's a lot undone here. All peoples on earth will be blessed because of you. This is Genesis 12, the Abrahamic promise. Nobody's being blessed through him at this point. And the promise for an offspring, they had waited 50 years, but Isaac was real. So it's a promise in process. The promise is still future. It's not a present, or not much of it's present, but he is investing big-time money. I mean, 400 shekels is like $200,000. He probably got gouged big-time on that thing but he paid the full price because it's his. Because there's a promise coming in this act of faith through his son and through their descendants. And Hebron becomes the second most holy place after Jerusalem. That's the place where Abraham will be buried with his wife. That's a place where his son Isaac and his wife will be buried. This is the place where Rebekah and Leah will be buried. This is a place where Jacob, who's going to die in Egypt, he says, do not leave my bones here. Gather my bones back to my fathers in the cave at Machpelah, because that's our place. He will be gathered to his fathers there. David, later on, is anointed king there in Hebron, where he goes to be safe from Saul. And later on, he's anointed king of the whole nation, Israel there at Hebron. It's an amazing, beautiful, powerful place that Abraham has purchased as a home, as a center of this life of promise. When I reflect on this, one of the things I notice here is how that negotiation went. Hittite for Abraham, sir, you're a mighty prince, they say to the strange guy. He responds, Abraham Rosen bowed down before them. See the incredible respect going back and forth between these two people from completely different tribes? When we do negotiations today, what does it look like? It's a little different. This picture of the president and the heads of legislative, Democratic heads of the legislature, Schumer and Pelosi, Mike Pence in the background, full of contempt. Arrogance? Preston Sprinkle tweeted this just recently. As our cultural climate becomes more polarized, angry, and intolerant, the church has a wide-open opportunity to become countercultural community it's called to be, and it is united, humble, and dignifying those we disagree with. Church, be different. Be Jesus, Preston called. And that's a call for us. We certainly have people we disagree with. But we should be known for dignifying those we disagree with, not contempting and despising them. Let us be like Jesus. A reality is nothing on earth finally satisfies Nothing on earth finally satisfies pilgrims and strangers who are passing through this land. Again, 51 years with this amazing woman. We had a marvelous time. There's better to come. There was actually some rain on our weekend. We're pilgrims and strangers passing through this land because we're creatures of eternity, stranded in time. This is Michael Card's lyrics from Joy in the Journey, where he said, we who, are in, we, who, we who are born of the Spirit, share incarnation with Him, we're creatures of eternity, stranded in time, weary of struggling with sin. And it's real. This is the lion horse. Sin, death, disease, despair are real. And we're not fully satisfied, no matter how good it is. Because the promise is still ahead. One of the things that I found important and was actually taught against in the first parts of my Christian life is lament. Lament is the bold faith to feel and cry authentic. I'm using words here from Ann Voskamp, who her thousand voices an amazing reflection on lament, Ann Voskamp. Because when we lament, we have this bold faith to feel authentic. We have the bold faith to cry out authentic, trusting that the Lord has an ear to our hearts. That chesed relationship with the Father of Lights says we can cry out our agony to him. And he hears, he is the God who works compassionately and graciously. He feels with us, helps us in our hardship, bringing beauty to the ashes. That's lament. It's crying out our agony to God, Psalm 13. David cries out, how long O Lord, how long will will you forget me forever? See, the The whine, which our society is really good at. You are terrible, God. Why in the world aren't you? God, you can't do anything right. I could run the universe better than you could. The whine. And actually runs away from the very God who is our helper in hard times. Our society calls us to whine, to despair. Lament calls us to be with God When we grieve, grief is a journey, often perilous without clear direction. The experience of grieving cannot be ordered or categorized, hurried or controlled, pushed aside or ignored indefinitely, it can't. Is an evil as breathing as change as love. It may be postponed. It will not be denied. Molly Fumia is a grandmother living in San Jose who writes brilliantly on grief. I know some of you want, oh I gotta have that quote. You can download the PowerPoint from our website. This is powerful. What is grief? See, grief in the context of God and the context of the community is a shared experience, and it's real, real, real. So we grieve with sadness and sorrow because that's part of grief, the loss that comes, and it comes in all kinds of different ways, but we grieve without denial. See, I was taught, not in so many words, but by culture, is don't let your heart be troubled, trust in God. Missing the fact that Jesus' heart is troubled regularly. See, denial says, I'm not troubled. It's okay. It's okay. I just trust God. That's denial. And it's actually ungodly. Because you're not being like Jesus. And we do it without despair, which is where the wine comes from. Oh, there's no hope for anything. We do it without defeat. So we don't go into the place of the victim. Helpless before the fates of the world. But we do cry authentic, our sadness and sorrow. We grove our own loss. Because grief is always a personal thing. Oh, we can look to somebody else's grief and get some ideas of how to walk that journey. But every grief, every loss, every betrayal is a me experience and I can't borrow somebody else's grief and I do it with a whole person because grief impacts everything, including my spirit. It may really mess up my relationship with God for a while because sometimes the darkness overwhelms His face. Sometimes the pain is more real than God grief is done in community because we need the people around us who can hold our hands and keep us from getting lost in the darkness, but can take us with us to the place where we experience the loss in a community of hope. It's a place where we do grieve hopefully because the God of all grace has come and shares that grief with us. He is not the distant manipulator, the sovereign, uncaring God of philosophic theology is too often taught in the church. That's on the grieving side. Sometimes we're in the midst of the grief. Sometimes like me, you're not in the midst of grief. I can't imagine how my life could be better than it is right now. My health is good. I love what I do for my life and I've got an amazing wife who welcomes me home with kisses and hugs and makes me food. I mean, what more could I ask? I've got kids that I enjoy playing with. I've got grandkids. I'm going to celebrate my son's 50th birthday next month. Can you imagine I've got a son that's a half century old? It's amazing. See, sometimes we're on that side. We're on the helping side. How do you help in the midst of grief? Well, first thing is acknowledge the loss. That seems simple, but it's amazing how often when I go to somebody that's got a loss, I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to bring them down or something. No, it's real. Your son just died. Well, let's not talk about it. You know how your wife is dead, and she so you got a great deal on that field, didn't you, Abraham? No, your wife is dead. You'll never see her again in this life. Acknowledge the loss. That's part of sharing the thing. Be present. Job's friends came and were with him seven days. Weeping. Support silence. A lot of times in grief, the best thing you can do is say nothing. Just be there. You don't have to fill the silence with something. Sometimes the worst thing you can do, I've been told, is ask somebody, how are you doing? That may be the worst question. Ask people what helps them touch, especially dying people. It's amazing how people don't touch dying people. If you've got a relationship, touch them. Compassionately, of course, and gently. Listen. A lot. Offer specific help. Because when you say, what can I do for you? Well, they may not have much of anything. That's actually I don't know what I need right now. Say, can I get you a bucket of chicken for your family tonight? Get things, get him a box of Kleenex, you know. Just acts of service can be incredibly helpful in these sort of things. Pray. When my dad was dying, I knew him to be a deeply religious man, but a very private in his faith. I'd see him reading his Bible. I would, we prayed at the dinner table. I knew he prayed, but we never prayed together. And when he was dying, the last day I was with him, I screwed up my courage and said, Dad, can we pray? And he was past saying anything at that point. But I could see from his face. So I just prayed a heartfelt, simple prayer. And I saw the tears come to his lives. Read familiar scripture. I read Psalm 23. Sing favorite songs. I don't like my dad's favorite songs. (laughs) But I sang them and my mom joined in. Give thanks. Thank you, Dad, for being who you are. Invite all feelings, all feelings, including the anger feelings, and listen compassionately. Please, please, please do not give an at least. To the woman whose husband has just abandoned her for the best friend, don't say, Well, at least you knew what it's like to be married. That's not comforting. Don't give a but. Just don't do it. Don't give an explanation or a biblical platitude. Listen compassionately. Listen for the still, small voice of the Lord who became a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. Grief is one of those things just so real. It's something done well in community. Those of you who are Facebookers or Instagrammers may have seen this this past week, one Wednesday this week, Jay and Allie McKinney. OHSU Center for Health and Healing, they're waiting for results of their scan, because of course Jay's had several cancers, and the word came, the cancer is back. The cancer is back. And Jay writes on CaringBridge, this sort of thing. He hasn't done it for a while because the cancer has been gone. It just seemed like just a few days ago that he said, clean, scan, rejoice with me. This one is not clean. And in his CaringBridge, and I invite you to sign up for CaringBridge.org, it's free, and Jay's stuff will appear there as he goes through this journey. On his carrying bridge, it's linked on his Facebook page too, he wrote a song. I asked him, Is it recorded somewhere I can get it? He said no. But God gave him a song in the early morning. And with his permission, I'd just like to read you his song The road ahead is hard to face. I've been down it before. I know the sights, I know the smells, I know it all way too well. Can't walk away, can't just pretend. Still don't know how it will end. All I know is that this road is the one I'm on again. My precious girls watch me walk. Watch what I hear, how I talk, what I want for them to see. Is your strength alive in me? Jay's back in the back of the room there. I do this with his permission. My body may fail. My courage may fade. My spirit may grow weak in me, but yours never runs out. It remains the same. You are the strength I need. The road I'm on, I don't walk alone. My wife walks next to me." In some ways that road is harder than mine, a different reality, so much to bear when I'm not there. Plus, she cares for me. God, I beg on behalf of her, be the strength she needs. My body may fail. My courage may fade. My spirit may grow weak in me, but Yours never runs out. It remains the same. You are the strength I need. Worship team, come on up here. This is a faith of a deep friend of mine and ours. Grief invades in all kinds of different ways. In this room yesterday, one of my very, very good friends grieved in funeral the death of his son-in-law, Dano, died after a long battle with liver cancer, leaving children behind and a wife behind. Children should not die, but they do. And what I want to do here is invite all of us to come together in a time where we let the Holy Spirit open up the grief spot in you. Not all of you have a live grief spot, but many of you do. And what I want to do is just read slowly through Psalm 42. Will you do that with me? Just be centered in your body and your spirit and your soul and your mind. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and Bring your convicting, healing, real presence into our midst here today. Breathe with me. Breathe in and be filled. Breathe out and be cleansed. As the deer pants when there is no water, So my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? Breathe in and be filled. Breathe out and be cleansed. My tears have been my food day and night. And when people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out in my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Breathe in, be filled. Breathe out, be cleansed. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why, so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Breathe in and be filled. Breathe out and be cleansed. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all of your waves and breakers have swept over me breathe in and be filled breathe out and be refreshed by day the Lord directs his love at night his song is with me a prayer to the God of my life I say to God my rock why have you forgotten me why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all the day long, Where is your God? Breathe in, be filled. Breathe out, be cleansed. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Breathe in, be filled. Breathe out, be cleansed. Holy Spirit, again, we invite you to move among us. There are people who need to have somebody hold them while they cry. There are others who are strong and can be the holders we invite you to work among us, the living God, in this community of grace. We pray in the name of the man of sorrows. Amen. God of compassion and grace, thank you. Jesus, Prince of Heaven, come to earth to be man of sorrows, to die for our sin, be resurrected to bring us life in the midst of darkness. Thank you. Holy Spirit, poured out on us to bring us unity, community where we can grieve and worship and rejoice. Do your good work, I pray. Thank you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Go change the world.